Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Violson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. You know, one of the things, Dave, that I've experienced as I get older is a sense of modesty and expertise that if you really want to find somebody who's really, really good at something and really, really an expert in something, find somebody who will absolutely refuse to admit that they're an expert in it and say that, oh, no, I don't know anything or I'm just I'm just one chapter ahead of the class. Do you have that experience? Absolutely. All the time. And that's one of the things that I like to say about like social media gurus and all of those folks, anybody who claims they're a guru and that they're an expert is often just trying to oversell because they're a little low on content. And I think our guest today is the opposite of that. He's absolutely brilliant. We've had him on the show and done a pre-record. And uh, I'm so excited to revisit our chat today with Denis Champagne. Bonjour, Denis. Now I'm saying using the French because you actually live in Montreal, yeah. correct? So hopefully I'm not being uh, culturally condescending. No, it's not. It's actually uh, edifying. So I take it as such. Perfect. Perfect. I think you've been uh, in uh, sales and sales coaching for going on 30, 35 years now, and you're still going strong. Yeah, I'm actually starting to really learn, actually. <laughs> After all, the, I'm starting to get it a little bit. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Exactly. That's. I was just talking about to Dave about that in uh, in in your introduction. So one of the things that I think is certainly the case in development of a salesperson is any good salesperson likes to have their patented nine step process. And if you just follow their patented nine step process and buy their book on Amazon, then all of a sudden manna will fall from the sky, your pipeline will be bulging, and everything will be all right. But I don't really subscribe to that notion, and I don't think you do either. You're absolutely right. Bang on. I've developed a little methodology or framework to at least give structure to some of the work you have to do. But, you know, you got to get out there and learn. Just like coaching. I used to be a squash professional and coaching athletes. They have to find their own style with the racket. It's the same thing in in life. You got to find that that ikigai, that part of you, that your essence, you know, that makes you shine and unique. And you mentioned that the last time we talked that you were, because you're a former two-sport pro athlete, right? I was a master's racer in cycling. Squash and cycling? Yeah, cycling was my 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 uh, my passion in the late mid-40s to early to late 50s. And now it's powerlifting. So I'm on my third journey now. Wow. I... Uh, and I wanted to I wanted to learn more about that because I don't know anything about professional squash. So can you talk a little bit about what what exactly does the squash circuit look like? Well, the circuit or the sport, or the game. Well, I know the sport. So the sport is play. It's it's played on a smaller court than racquetball. I think half the size of, of racquetball, and it's played with a uh, um, not as lively of a ball. I think it's called the dead. Deaden ball, is that right? Well, uh, first of all, it's not half the size. So just to be clear, the international squash court, because there are two dimensions, the one that's played with a softer ball that's played all over the world is 32 feet long by 21 feet wide. The North American version of that, which played mostly okay. in the U.S., 
And it was just because the court could not be, the, the width of the walls were not sufficient to allow the royal family to play. So they constructed a court with 18 and a half feet wide. So it's a North American squash is narrower in walls and it's uh, the same length in, in, in distance. But you're playing with a faster ball, a really fast ball, a harder ball in, in North American uh, game, more racket than actual running. But the most important game around the world is the softer, softer ball. And when you hit that ball enough, it squashes and creates friction and heat. And the ball gets to be really bouncy, very bouncy in squash. It's not, it's, uh, yeah, if it's, if it's in an air condition, highly, highly air condition, if you're not hitting the ball enough, you know, you won't create as much heat, won't bounce as much, but we use different spotted with blue dot, black dot on the ball, which we use for beginners. When they start, we had to bounce your ball to at least let them experience hitting the ball, right? Otherwise, the ball would always drop dead, right? So that squat, racquetball is 40 feet long by 20 feet wide. I was also a a racquetball pro. I was a squash and racquetball pro. So that's why I know of both sports. My uh, my gift in my racquetball play was just that I'm left-handed and not in uh, nobody nobody was used to playing with the left. Yeah, that happened to me as well in a tournament. I only realized at the end of the tournament at uh, the match that hey, this guy's lefty. That's why I lost. <laughs> ah, yeah, exactly. Which uh, I think sort of we'll we'll get back to the topic, but one of the things that I remembered uh, one of my most important lessons that I learned early on in my life was uh, my dad was a college professor. And used to in in the eighties when when somebody on the tennis team was getting too big for their britches, they'd bring my dad out to play him, and my dad would you know he'd really ham it up and he'd put you know roll socks up to his knees and he'd have the Bjorn Borg headband and everything and the, the, the little shorty shorts and he would just absolutely annihilate the college kid. And so that was one of the important things I learned in life: is you n- never play a racket sport with an old man because they will crush you for fun. Um, some of them, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, Denis, your job is primarily a, a sales coach and helping develop salespeople into successful closers, right? Would that be fair to say? It's somewhat fair, but uh, I will make it more fair. Okay. I coach people who want to become better or great at the profession of the career of selling for the purpose of helping the team you know, become prosperous. I coach also executives, like members of the sales leadership team. They also need, and I'm finding three of my clients, they need to talk to someone. They can't turn to their CEO, so they bounce off ideas with me. They don't know everything. They can't turn to their VP of operations. They'll talk to someone who knows. So because I've worked with owners all my life as a consultant or as a vice president in marketing sales on on a by-project basis, I've worked with the ownership and I know the inherent problems and I own businesses myself. So, you know, I bring that to the table. So I work with executives as well as the sales teams and the individuals, because I believe people need in, you know, private coaching, these raw, raw two day seminars. Uh, It's like inflating a balloon and it will just deflate by itself after a few days. So it's the continuous reinforcement, encouragement, 
practice, awareness building, constant 10-week behavior changing approach. That's what helps people to transform poisons into medicine, if you'll accept the term. So that's how I, I, I tend to work. It, it's less, I charge less because it's private lessons. Well, it is, I charge more, but I could do a seminar and, and make it all up in one day, but I won't feel that I'm rendering service to the company. I'm not doing its service. Some people say, I don't care if they pay me the fee for the day, I'll do it. But people leave with kind of mitigated kind of feelings and knowledge about that. I would prefer them to recommend them to read. And in my coaching, I, I expect them to read. And then let's talk about what you read, because I read the book. So over a 10-week period, they read, they practice, they become aware, and they follow a little bit of a structure that I created. So that's how you change people. You change people one person at a time, one hour a week at a time through constant 10-week, 12-week periods. I think that every salesperson says they want to get better, but they don't all actually want to get better. So where do you start and how, what are some of the differentiators that you see when you really know somebody really wants it? Well, when they're willing to be coached and they actually start acting and showing me that they've done what they we agreed mutually that they will do for the following week. I have a particular young lady with whom I'm working with a struggle. And she did more this this week. We we were on a session yesterday. She did more than the week before. And then you know she's a bit of a, a very sensitive and, and and self-esteem, you know, this is self-esteem issue. Uh are you People are fearful of people, but they're also fearful of success and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Say, more, say more about that, because I think you're right, but I, I, I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, that. sales uh, has been, it's true, and I posted something the other day about, did you fall into sales or did you jump into sales? And uh, all of us have this notion of prosperity versus the scarcity syndrome versus the prosperity or abundance syndrome. So if you want to really become good in sales, you have to understand that although you may know product, you may know clients' problems, maybe the way you speak, maybe the way you engage, maybe the way you write and why when you approach people, they don't feel the passion that you want to help them. They don't feel the confidence in your voice all of those things speak more loudly than anything. Thomas Edison say, who you are speaks so loud that when you open your mouth, I can't hear you. So it's in the making, it's in the continuance. If you really believe that you can help a company sincerely, you will continue. And eventually, as my Buddhist mentor says, they will come to understand your sincerity to serve. And that's a very deep statement, to understand your sincerity. And a lot of salespeople lack that, that, that drive to say, I don't care if you've not called me or responded to me seven times, I'm going to call you an eighth time and I'm going to add something of value there and I'm going to continue until you give me the time. And often, if you do that, they'll go, oh my goodness, this guy really wants to help me. He dis- he. So there come, I remember I was calling someone on the 22nd of December, my birthday was the last day in the office. 
And I call, finally, I reach someone, a VP of sales. He says, oh, my goodness, finally, we speak. He says, you know what? He says, you've been at it for nine months with me. And at some point, he says, you are starting to really annoy me. <laughs> but it came to a point where he says, I started respecting you. And I brought my national sales manager to listen to the voice messages you left. And I said, this is the way you continue the journey with someone until they acquiesce. Absolutely. But it seems to me that one of the hallmarks and when we were right before we started recording, you talked about your follow-up. And I think that's one of the true master strokes of great salespeople. They, they follow up without annoying. And it's what, what I like to call it is, is lazy linking or lazy networking where you just say, Hey, just following up or just checking back. You know, that's not the kind of follow-up that you're talking about, right? So you you provide value with every touch and every interaction, or that's how you coach your Yeah, customers. I try. I try. And I, and I encourage people to, that's why one of the things that recently I read from a very respected professional in sales training in the U.S., who, who I love and I admire, his name is Anthony Yanarino. He said that we're lacking reading and we're lacking research. And I spend a lot of time now coaching and really adding to their component, research properly your people before you engage. Have some value to talk about to the point that you're starting to fall in love with the problems they have. Someone said that in LinkedIn, mm -hmm. fall in love with your prospects problems so that to the point that people really understand you want to help them and you have something to talk about. You're, as Anthony says, you're one up on them. You have something they don't have yet, knowledge. And they'll say, you know what? I'm going to give you 15, 20 minutes. It's worth my time. So there's got to be value almost on every single uh, touch outbound sequence point that they feel, oh, geez, this guy's giving me value. So to the point where they say, you know what? You're, you're going to help me buy. A great salesman today is, I'm going to help you buy. One of my sales goals for 2023 was that during my selling hours, which is usually you know nine to noon and then one, one to four, is to not use the word just. So in, in email or conversation, never saying, hey, I'm just following up because then that immediately demeans me. And in, in the in the prospect eyes, mm -hmm. because oh, I'm sorry to bother you, but you know here I am. So there's a difference in confidence of saying I'm calling to follow up, as opposed to oh, just 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 following up. Like oops, sorry. And I, I'm better at it's still there, and it's still something I'm trying to, to to stamp out. But it's it's definitely something that I've focused on. And I think the other thing that I, I'd be interested to get your take on, Denise, is the, the rise of AI when it comes to prospecting, because I think everybody gets that same email or LinkedIn request, as, as Dave mm -hmm. said, lazy linking of dear first name. Hi, my name is Trigvi, and here are three things that my company does, and here's my calendar link. And then they wonder why nobody clicks on it. Right. And it's just, 
it, it's it's the new it's 21st century cold calling where you're just casting a wide net in and using a script in, in an inappropriate way and then hoping that you might catch something in it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's, eloquence is rare. Okay, relevance is rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, success is rare. Common sense is uncommon. So the real bright people who know that people either want to be infotained, edutained, you know, kind of titillated a little bit, but with relevance and seriousness, but they realize, oh, this guy's real or this lady is really a professional. They, they, they've crafted their art because living is an art. Selling is an art as well. And it's a science. So it's a combination of all those features. And when you catch someone who, and you get a call from someone who's really a professional, it's so natural and comfortable and relevant. And they know when they, I listen to them, they pitch me or they call me, I feel like they know some things about me. They're already prepared. Proper preparation prevents poor performance in the five Ps, right? There's a marketing piece, but there's a sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even in athletics, you've not prepared at the line, starting line on the bike. Forget about it. If they attack, you're gone, right? So it's the same thing in, right. in, in sales. So relevance, what is relevance? It's really talking in the depths of that person's motivations. What are the motivations of a buyer? We have to ask. I learned the other day and it back home to me, they are caring about their success in the position they hold. They're, kill, they're thinking about their children's success because they make more money or they achieve more bonuses or they land a good project for the company's outcomes. It's a combination, but deeply, deep, very deeply in the, their own psyche. The dialogue, the monologue they have is, how can I get something out of this for me? They work for a company, but they're thinking about themselves as well. There are two things, the company's outcomes, their own personal outcome. Uh, We had a a fraud here, a dark web uh, theft of 5,000 personal IDs and social insurance numbers with one of the banks. Okay. Yeah, it was, that was about, Seven, six, seven years ago, in 24 hours, the CEO lost his job. So what do you think he thinks about when he gets called by people about cybersecurity now? And in a new position. Right? It's about his own kind of success and security. Uh, and that of the, mm-hmm. of course, or the board of directors. So we all have our own, and justifiably so. But it's got to be the balance of that, and people will understand that. And you're calm. You learn to practice. You learn to craft your st- your narratives. You you got to practice. It's like a, a, just lifting a squ- just squatting the barbell on my back. I'm constantly ju- checked by my coach every week in video to make sure that the little kinks in my lifting will allow me to get another 10, 15 pounds, you know, on my next top personal record that I want to break. So technique, little tweaks, little things. I think what's interesting is as you describe 
the buyer's intent, of which I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you said, is the one mo- the one thing that you didn't mention is money. Yeah, well, I didn't. Yeah, how much something is, I've found, I, I found, and it, it doesn't matter as much as the risk of buying in today's world. Yeah. especially in a lot of B two B, right? Because you're you're dealing with with money against some future goal or some future thing. So if you're if you're really tapping into the empathy of what success looks like in the role for that person, it matters less about what that line item is, and especially in B two B sales, because the money is just the part that says that you're going to do something. And so, where do you go from there? is you need to get the person excited about, oh, this is going to make me look awesome to my boss, or this is going to be, it's going to remove all of the risk, and I'm not going to have to worry if my job is going to be gone tomorrow because of some hacker, right? So and I, I know, Denis, that you coached your own call center in a previous career and ran that, and then building that art of conversation into something that can be rapid fire on calls is a true talent. And I know that you have your own model, the team's model. And so can you tell us more about that and how to, how to get like to empathy right away with your customers? Uh, well, in order for that to happen, other things previously should have been done, prepared, trained, mm-hmm. fortified. So spectacular 10 second sprints has been preceded by 10 years of preparation. So, you know, it, it, some people are good at just naturally because they have integrity. I think integrity is heard and felt by people. I was never the higher volume in a call center that I had and the other call center in the 80s that I managed in Toronto. I was also, though, the best paid to sales ratio. My, my, my deals paid. They didn't have the bigger volume, but I had good quality deals. So... That's very important that people understand that if you want to really get good paying clients, you need to make sure that people, again, understand your sincerity, your integrity, you're prepared. There's no, there's no secret to success. It's preparation, is desire, is you know, coachability, is humility, is that learning mentality, uh, ongoing continuing education in my call center it was a different game it was transactional it was fundraising for charity but again you appeal to nobler (laughs) motives of people when you fundraise so you have to call upon their own intrinsic desires to appeal to you know the that part of their lives that make them feel worthy and helpful and and (laughs) humane right but it depends on what you're selling. So my team's methodology, after all of this has been done over the years, I realized the number one kind of glitch that exists within selling is poor targeting. That's why the T is there. So really be crystal clear on your targets and break it down. What does that mean? That means, first of all, How much time do we spend with our salespeople to onboard them, to care for them, to give them that environment that they, you're going to be fine. We'll do everything we can to make you the absolute best. Believe me, the messy 
is being paid $50 million a year right now to play for a team right in the U.S. You know, Messi, Lionel Messi and soccer, same thing. Absolutely. Why don't we onboard our people correctly? I'm astounded as that today they give them a half an hour, two hours, five hours, 10 hours, and then run. Because there's a perturbed sense of what a salesperson is. It's not an easy job. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of time and again and again follow-ups. So targeting for me is first, let's look at the personal salesperson's intrinsic private motivations for being in this job. So the first session I spend is, why are you here? Why are you selling for this company? What are your dreams? What are your motivations? And let's be frank, tell me, and let's write that down so that it's clear. Now, when they have to do the extra, will they question? No, probably not, because they know about their why. You know, this classic why that everybody thinks, you know, Simon Sinek invented, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Heraclitus, Socrates, and Plato, invent, you know, created and talked about that in Spinoza. So we don't have, right? So anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's extrinsic motivation. What motivates you in this company? Why are you selling what you sell? Do you believe in this? Do you trust and believe in the management and the, the cause and the value that you bring to the table? Are you proud of that? Are you, are you burning with desire to reach out and make a new contact and say, geez, I can't wait to see if I can help that person, that I can't wait to see kind of thinking in your heart, in your mind, right? So that's the target. The first is the target is the salesperson's full motivation. Mm-hmm. Then is what are the serious problems that you actually really solve? And try to figure that out, like put it into a sentence or two, articulate it, and then you may have to regurgitate and reiterate that to a point. It's all still in the T targeting. So there's many components of targeting. Then once you have that, then you can say, okay. What are the companies out there that are likely to experience this serious strategic problem that you mm-hmm. are confident you can solve? And then who are the roles in that company that are going to be instrumental or influential in a say in this that are also going to be somewhat impacted by it? So then forget about sure. single, single threads pro- prospecting. Do multi-thread, talk to the CEO, talk to the VP of operations, talk to the manager on the floor, talk to a number of people and say, I heard that you work here. I heard that you're the manager. I'm trying to get a sense of things. I heard that you have so much knowledge and I really value your opinion. Man, people love to give their opinions. So you seek their opinion and you document all of the, the various people that are likely to be impacted by the decision, right? And then you have value. So you have multi-thread. You're talking to a number of people to navigate sure. the consensus in the organization. So it's not, it's a lot of work. It's not easy, but you know, deadlifting 500 pounds is not easy as well. It took time for me to do it, right? So same thing. So you build it. An athlete, 
Salespeople are the athletes of a company. So once you have that, then you talk to what roles am I going to talk? And what conversation pieces I'm going to hold? What kind of conversations I'm going to have with these different kind of roles? And then craft those narratives. Mm -hmm. Then you go to E. E is nothing beats execution. Now there's a list of how you're going to execute. There's the web, there's LinkedIn, there's email, there's the phone, there's the video. Even video direct message on LinkedIn. I did that to a CEO. Oh, yeah. CEO responded to me mm -hmm. in five minutes, my friend. He called me. Now, why did he call me? Why did he call me? Because I left my phone number on my LinkedIn contact section. So with the rep, I also make sure, make sure your LinkedIn profile is bang on. It's rich. It's complete. It's full. It portrays who you really are as a full human being. Put everything that you do. People want to get to know you. Because if you don't appear to be somewhat prepared, they may say, yeah, it sounds cheesy. They're going to check you before you respond. So all of this, this takes a lot of preparation. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. That's E mm -hmm. for execution. That's brilliant. A is something that 90% of people don't do. I'm going to ask you to think about that. What do you think people mostly don't do in a, court, in a sales organization? It's mostly follow-up. I would yeah, say. I'd say follow up enough. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that gets to a, for a. Maybe Sorry. maybe ask for the sale, but that might be too early. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a simple account <laughs> or activity. Put the information uh, in. Yeah. CRM. Mm -hmm. Account for activity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Make sure you put that information where it deserves to be seen by you. And the ownership. I talk to, I work with owners. I said, if you were to sell your business tomorrow, what kind of picture would you be able to present to the buyers about forecasting, about account to cash? My CFO says, the, from the first point of contact with someone, from contact to cash, how long is that cycle? Mm -hmm. Which is in the account, right. the liquidity. Mm -hmm. the, the CFO is the recipient of that money. That system of record is supposed to be perfect representation of all activities as it relates to revenue generation and service rendered. And a CRM can be, you know, tickets to serve customer mm -hmm. success. This, you know, depending on the mm -hmm. pool you buy, the brand you buy, because we know that there are mm -hmm. all kinds of CRMs of all kinds of levels. Mm -hmm. right? are less or more organized, but fundamentally put that information, preserve that preciously in the moment that you do the activity. Not 10 hours later or an hour later, you will have forgotten. Right. Zig Ziglar says, once it's fresh in your mind, that's the time to save it on your CRM as a filter, mm -hmm. as an activity. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that you know, we we work with a tool called HubSpot for for all of our clients, and that was a big difference for us when we started to really 
focus on getting everything into a system that you can track and that you can share and that you can show. This is one of the places that I think AI is going to have a massive impact because we probably six months ago instated a note taker for all of our meetings. And darn it, if that if that note taker isn't just brilliant. So not only does it transcribe the text, but it says the pain points identified, the next steps that we talked through, the content that the customer was most concerned about. And it wraps all that up automatically where it gives that sales rep much more detail when you're building and taking the next step. So it's so cool to have a tool like that. It still doesn't replace the need for good old fashioned hard work and being on the ball. But oh my goodness, it's making my life as a salesperson much easier. Very well put. And there's ancillary benefits too. Yeah, because we had we just had a client at, with a, a fairly large bill say, I've never been told about this. I'm not paying it. And because we had all those transcripts, we said, okay, well, on April 12th, here you were told, and May 13th, you were told, and June 14th, you're... Oh, okay. And then, and then he, he finally acquiesced. Well, he he but, admitted, oh, yeah, I never opened that email. And we were like, yes, we know. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we can see that you never opened the email. Uh, yeah. I have a question that I think is is controversial and also how you answer is completely dependent on, on age. And we could talk about this as a group, but I'd love to get Denise's feeling. Uh, is is uh, is the phone dead in 2023? Is it or is it still a useful prospecting tool? As long as people want to hear another person's voice, it will always be alive. Once we start talking telepathically, mm-hmm. maybe not. But in the meantime, <laughs> even AI tools now are able to predict a divorce between a couple the way the voice sounds between each other. Mm-hmm. So the voice, and I've done a lot of podcasting on this way back when I first started because I would, when I was started selling on the phone, I would put my watch. We had no computer in those days, 80s. So I would just put my watch and I would make sure that I was able to grab a person's attention within 10 seconds. And I would look at the, the seconds meeting and I would work on really making sure I have an impact. They remember my name or they they respond. They, okay, yeah, yeah, right? Because people are like, their minds are everywhere. And it was all about modulating my voice to make sure that people sense my integrity, my naturalness, my authenticity, and just being a downright good person. That can all be summarized in your way you express yourself in those first 10 to 15 seconds. And it can make it or break it. And people love to hear voices. Look how many people pay to buy albums to go listen to great singers and performers (laughs) on stage. The power of the voice. You know, I have a dream. Remember that statement, you know, the way he spoke. And the voice would tremble of Dr. King. Uh, I still remember that. You know, um, I was alive and I was young. I was a young boy when I remember that I have a dream event. Uh, so, or Walter Cronkite, right? When Walter Cronkite, I don't know if you, maybe you guys don't know him. Sure. Oh, no. no we know. And that's the way it is. <laughs> hey, what do you think? Do you think the phone's dead? Me? No. I think it just, just like Denia was saying, it's, Harder and harder, 
I think for people to muscle up to pick up the phone and to dial because we're in a world where it's becoming increasingly seen as rude to call people instead of just texting them. And so we're, we're, we need to work that and figure out better ways to, I mean, there, there's no easy way to game the system. Like you're not going to just cold call and dial like Wolf of Wall Street. You're going to be engaging and connecting. And like Denis was saying right there, if you can build some sort of a, a hook or a connection with that person in the first 10 seconds, and then you have a conversation where you're asking things that imply and share that you actually care about that person. It's like, oh, well, I see that you know, you're know you in Montreal. And I know that the local sports team just had a big win. Or I see from your recent LinkedIn post that you are really concerned about this thing. And do you have a couple of moments to talk about that? You know, that's the kind of thing that builds real connection and relationship. And if you can do something in real time in voice to build connection, I mean, there's, there's no easier way than a great conversation. So I believe very much that the phone is, is still relevant. It's just getting tougher. And I wonder where we're going to be in 20 years with all the kids that have only been texting and that's now their full job to be in the corporate world. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I do is I, I, I teach prospecting for HubSpot Academy. And one of the things I see is that anybody under the age of about 35 is just scared to death of mm-hmm. the phone and has active backlash to any suggestion that they need to use the phone to, to talk to people. And people who are over 35 kind of get it and they realize that it's it's scary, but it's it's necessary. And so I think what you guys said is that is absolutely true that it's never been harder in this day and age to be good at mm-hmm. it. But the only way that you get good at it is by doing it. And it's, it's, it's a learned muscle memory. Right. It's, you're not going to pick up the phone and make a sale in your first call. It's hundreds and hundreds of calls before you start feeling confident. And then hundreds and hundreds of more before you're conveying that confidence. Right. And part of it's just building up the wrong thing in your head. If you if you view in your head that, oh man, I've got to go cold call a bunch of people and convince them to do something they don't want to do, nobody wants to do that. If I know that I yeah. have a gift that I have the ability to share with someone, it's like, I know that these four people today really need what I do. And all I have to do is form some sort of a connection and I can actually tangibly help them you know, giving away a gift is an entirely different conversation than selling some poor sucker, right? So having that empathy and being able to build that is huge. And that makes it a much easier conversation. Denis, I know we, I know we started and we were, we were almost, we were halfway through teams yes, on, on the conversation. So we said, yes. So I, I want to loop us back. Um, what does the M yeah. stand for? Right. There's two M's, by the way. There's not only one, there's two of them. Yes. Uh, but teams, because I'm not using the word like Microsoft Teams, I'm double M. But just to just to uh, bear down on the on the first first three, the TEA, those are the foundational. Mm-hmm. The TEA is the most important, all three of them. The MMS are very simply measure. So decipher, analyze, decide, you know, kind of where this fits into 
the level of degrees of information that you've been able to kind of extract and 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 generate from the conversations, the exchanges, mm-hmm. backlash. You measure also. Well, I've been trying this person for 24 weeks now, and not a one sign of life is a target. You know, maybe you haven't been relevant. Maybe mm-hmm. it's bad timing. Maybe put it on pause and put later. So measure means to give it a degree of seriousness or gravitas or relevance in the terms of all of the other you know, opportunities or pipeline. Because the idea is to generate opportunities, not leads. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to opportunity. I'm not looking for leads. Lead gen is a passe term. So M in that case is try to decipher, analyze, evaluate where you're at with that. The other M is how to manage that. You manage, how do you manage that? What do you do? Do you put it into the follow-up in six months? Do you put it into a campaign that goes onto the marketing side? Because of course, alignment between sales and marketing is always a problem, uh, still to this day. But so it's learning to manage that. And S means success. Success means did I achieve my objectives? What, what was it? To have the first conversation, to close the contract, to accelerate, uh, go to market with this particular client for the implementation. What are the, what's the criteria that's going to call this TAMMS successful? And what you have to do then is you go right back to the, at the beginning, the target. What are my sales targets? I forgot to add that in T also there is your quota. Of course, right? This young oh, lady sure. you're working yeah. with, mm-hmm. she didn't pay attention. She has uh, issues with her self-esteem. Her goals for the year is 800,000. She's at 70,000 and we're in August. Oh. So there's a very strong chance that she not, may not be there anymore. And I'm working with the two owners and, you know, now they're asking me to come on board and sell for them, <laughs> which I may take on because I love these guys. It's a good fit. Right. They have an amazing tool. Well, you only have They're 750. Just, to come. Yeah. Yeah. So the measure. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. In a quarter. Sorry. Uh, it was just 750,000 in a quarter. That, that that's a that's heavy lifting for anybody. Yeah. No, she it's, it's not going to happen. And she wasn't paying attention. And she, you know, kind there's a lot of things. So as also I try to screen people like when I'm coaching them is. Are they really fit for this? They may not be in this particular kind of sale. Maybe it's customer success. Maybe it's like they're working with agencies or directly to retailers. So agencies will take on this digital signage. It's a digital signage business uh, here in Canada. So um, you have to kind of decide, do you really want to be in sales? That's so. But if you don't coach them and they don't make it, whose fault is it? It's a combination of both people, the company as well. Most salespeople are not well onboarded. They're not coached. They're actually, I find it very disparaging, you know, and it's sad to see in the world of sales how so very few are well onboarded correctly. And then they're expecting them to call on to mature business people in their 50s, 60s that are executives. And they have 25 years. They just finished a degree. They've been, you know, hustling on SDRs, and they're expected to get an appointment for me? Nah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's twisted. That's actually insane. I call right. it insanity. 
no wonder that so many people I agree. Oh, it's 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 very saddening. So uh, I coached a lot because I spent time with my people in the sales call center. We did role playing every single Monday morning. And I would put two people, buyer, seller, in a role play. All of the mm-hmm. others would sit around mm-hmm. and watch theater like a like an acting car class, right? But guess what? Those two people would win this arg- the competition, the contest at the end of the week. So when you're pushed, right? Playing tennis between two friends is one thing. Playing in a tournament with a referee in a crowd is another game. Your legs get all wobbly, right? So different levels. You got to put people to the test. It's a, it's a stage. Yeah. Uh, it, to talk a little bit more about role playing because I'm a firm believer in it, and uh, I think that's another one of those things that, especially when you're coaching new salespeople, they feel is weird and they f- it's awkward. Well, it's because they never. But I, I I don't know how else how else you get good at it unless you do it in a lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then roll out what you've learned. Absolutely. So, to talk more about how that. Uh, how you have that in your process, because I believe in that too. Well, it depends. First of all, do you know what you're going to talk about? Have you done your research? Right away, it brings down the pressure if the person knows some stuff about the prospect, knows some stuff about the industry, knows some stuff about the problems, and is able to articulate. So we talk a lot about that at the beginning. Forget about making a phone call for now. Just do you know your stuff, right? I had a I had a I I coached many reps in South in eight, uh, in Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, and Australia, mm-hmm. and I had five of them in South mm-hmm. Africa. One of which was in Brazil and Sao Paulo, uh, and I speak Portuguese and Spanish, so you know I was working with them, and we spent more time researching in the newswire and the PR platforms about issues that they had because they were into predictive analysis and environmental intelligence for the mining industry and for the water uh, and um, uh, the, the water retention centers and water treatment and all that stuff. It's a very high level kind of thing. But he had to know more about, did they get problems with the government? Did they have issues? Were there a lot of major events, triggers, that triggers the need to get better predictive and all information? So once he called, he was so confident because he had information and he had knowledge. So right away, his level of pressure come way down. So before we even start talking about how to call, what to say, how to do a video, how to write an email, know your SH, you know the rest. So start with that. Get information, get knowledgeable. Right away, you are so much closer to creating your own natural narrative. And then when we do, then we close the screen. We don't see each other on Zoom and we practice. I'm Mm -hmm. a recipient of the call. Then you say, okay, what kind of role are you going to play? What role are you going to call? Okay, I'm going to play the role of a CFO. Go ahead. And you know what? Everybody stumbles on the first 10 seconds. So go back to basics. Get that comfort that practice, but now he or she knows stuff that he's willing to be able to talk about. We just have to get that first, you know, off the blocks. 
you know, I was a I was a mm-hmm. cyclist, right? I raced in track and on road. And when I raced at the World Championships on track, when you do your your uh, what they call your time trial race, which for my age bracket was 500 meters, two laps around, your bike is kind of uh, grabbed. The back wheel is held up by an apparatus, an equipment piece that holds you, so you can get on your bike, you know, and then it's go beep beep beep, and then it releases. Mm-hmm. So you got to practice that, right? Like it open up and you go. Those who are perfectly, it opens, they're gone. You're talking tenths of a second. The race is usually lost or won in the start. Mm-hmm. And I screwed up royally in 2011 in Manchester because I got stuck for like half a second. The guy beat me because we were both oh, no. are pretty good at going around and achieving hitting 50 kilometers an hour or what they call 29, 30 miles an hour. But by the time we mm-hmm. hit the finish line, he's already beat me by, you know, half a second, a second. No, nothing I can do with that. Races are lost by the length of it, the, the width of a tire. Some sales are oh, lost yeah. of that kind of thing, right? I raced and I was like mm-hmm. this much. See the difference between the two tires? This much. I won a gold medal and mm-hmm. medal. Wow. This much. Wow. So, right? So, same thing with getting started. So, know your stuff, do your research, do it caringly and professionally. Then let's practice those first 10, 15 seconds to calm yourself down. And once that person says, uh, when I ask them, how have you been? You know, because I ask, how have you been? Have they been? There's a reason why I ask that. And if they say, I'm, I, I'm okay, how about you? The minute I get how about you from that person, I know I'm psychologically in a safe place because they're willing to ask cool. me. Yeah. So that's just my my thing. It's always worked for me. I've developed the naturalness, right? I'm happy to talk mm-hmm. to them. I can't wait to talk to them. But you got to control that. This is a, there's so many aspects to the psychology of doing the right, but it's, you know, Something done with excellence can make or break your life. One sales presentation can completely make you or break you in your life. And it's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the next one will make or break make make or break you. Denis, thank you so much for joining us. And if our listeners want to find you, how do they find you? Because I think they should. Uh, well, uh, on LinkedIn, really the uh, the uh, place of excellence. Is really uh, and of uh, mm-hmm. you know is Denis Champagne D E N I S and then C H A M P A G N E at uh, on LinkedIn. I'm always there. I'm navigating. I'm all over the place. So yeah, perfect. Thank you, my friend. It was a pleasure as always. 